of the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Hello, and thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I'm your host, Matt Spectro, and this is the comic book podcast talks exclusively comic book-based animation. Thanks for joining us. I'm a lifetime superhero fan, lifetime animation fan, lifetime comic book fan. Welcome to episode 92. Let me briefly explain the rules, then we're going to get right into it. Rule number one. Every week we uh, talk comic books and we talk animation. Pretty self-explanatory. Rule number two. I'm a big fan of the old team-up books. DC Comics presents Marvel Team-Up, Marvel 2-in-1, Brave and the Bold. So this is a team-up podcast every week. Me and a special guest talking comic book animation. Third and most important, we got to have fun. Without further ado, let's bring out this week's guest. He is the host of the podcast, Superhero Cinephile. Welcome to the Multiverse, Perry. Hey, how you doing, Matt? Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. And welcome to episode 92. And this week, we are going to talk the one, the only, we're going to talk a first here at the Multiverse. We're talking Batman Beyond. Now, uh, I'd thrown out a couple suggestions and uh, you decided Batman Beyond was what you wanted to talk about. Why don't you explain to the, us, the listeners, uh, if you have a certain fondness, your favorite cartoon, picked it at random, what attracted you to Batman Beyond? Uh, so I loved this show back when it was on the air. Uh, it came out in 1999 when I was in high school at the time. And uh, I remember seeing interviews about it in, I think it was Wizard Magazine back then, for anybody who remembers that far back. It was a magazine devoted to comic books and all sorts of other geeky type stuff at the time. And they were talking about a spinoff of Batman the Animated Series. And it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be, uh, one of the Bat family, but instead it was going to be this series set in the future, starring, um, featuring Bruce, an older Bruce Wayne, mentoring not one of his protégés that we know from the comics, but instead mentoring a new character named, uh, Terry McGinnis, who was going to be taking on this kind of high tech bat suit. And my first thought of it was, well, that sounds stupid. I don't want to watch that. I'd want to, I want to see Batman stuff. I want to see the characters I know. But, you know, I, I watched the first episode and I've, I just, I liked it from the start and I thought it was a, it was a really cool, um, way to do a different spin on the Batman mythos and the concept. You know, you had Kevin Conroy coming back as a grizzled old Bruce Wayne. You had Will Friedel uh, from Boy Meets, who's mo- mostly known as Corey's brother on Boy Meets World at that time, doing the voice uh, of Terry. And yeah, it was this really cool mix of, you know, the kind of comic book type stuff we got used to with Batman, but with a cyberpunk spin. So I really enjoyed it. Well, a lot of factors went into this. Uh, we have to magically transport ourselves to the 90s, which first was, and maybe you're a little younger than me, you might not remember, 90s was the first decade of the controversial legacy heroes. Even though some consider the Silver Age that, this was the first decade of a lot of legacy heroes coming around and replacing the old regime, not always getting 
a warm reception. Do you remember that? It's mostly in DC comics. Oh, yeah. No, I totally remember that. Uh, we had a little bit of it at Marvel, too, because you had, you know, like the Scarlet Spider come in, Peter Parker's clone. The ball really kind of got rolling with um, when they killed off uh, Barry Allen and Crisis on Infinite Earths in the late 80s. And then they brought Wally Weston as the as the new Flash, upgrading him from Kid Flash. They killed off Hal Jordan, not killed off, but they turned him evil in the Emerald Twilight story. And they brought in Kyle Rayner. And that was the one that stuck in people's craw a lot. Like, there were a lot of fans who were really <laughs> pissed off about that. Although me, I was a fan of Morrison's uh, JLA comic at the time, so I always loved Kyle Rayner. He was always my Green Lantern. Um, but then you had, you know, they killed off Oliver Queen, brought in his son, Connor Hawk. Uh, and then even with Batman, right, they Bane paralyzed Bruce Wayne. And then they did the story, the Nightfall storyline, where they brought in Azrael to take over the mantle. And he became kind of like a 90s-inspired harder edge Batman and which was kind of a brilliant way to do it because they kind of showed the audience that no you don't want this so you want Bruce Wayne back yeah um of all the ones you mentioned yeah Kyle Rayner is the most famous or infamous one replacing Hal Jordan my friend from high school frequent guest of the show big Hal Jordan fan so that one stuck in his craw for years do you remember uh, Heat, Hal's Emerald Attack Team? Yes, I do. <laughs> I remember them from, uh, again, from Wizard Magazine. I remember them back at the time. So if you think about it, Terry McGinnis in his own way is a legacy character as well. Uh, just not so much in the comic books. Hardly anything like this had ever been done in animation, um, to my knowledge. Uh, unless you count things like Tiny Toons, maybe, is the only thing I can think of that, that comes close. Yeah, I can't really think of a lot of other things that had done it. I mean, usually when they had brought in new heroes or something, there had been some kind of reboot. Um, but, you know, comics, you couldn't really do that at the time because people liked their continuity, especially in those days. So you had to find a way to continue the legacy in some way. They hadn't done, like, full-on reboots since... I mean, I guess Crisis was sort of a reboot, but it they kept in a lot of existing stuff, too. So, uh, obviously, going back to the beginning, there's uh, the character of Batman, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Anybody, uh, a lot of my younger viewers might know, in 1989, the first Batman movie to come out that took the character seriously. And Batman was a phenomenon that went right into the 90s, which led to the very popular, which you must remember, and I hope you're a fan of, Batman the Animated Series. Oh, yeah. I watched that. That that first season especially because it was on uh, it was that was back when it was weekly so I remember rushing home from school every day to to make sure to watch it and that kicked off a decade of very popular comic book animation the nineties had Batman the animated series which would lead into Superman the animated series which also over in Marvel we had X Men and Spider Man as well as Hulk Fantastic Four Iron Man so superhero cartoons were pretty popular in that decade. Yeah, I was I was there for all of them. I, you know, loved X-Men. X-Men and Batman were really the ones that kind of grabbed me. But even a little bit before that, right, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles based on the Mirage comics. So that was kind of like the precursor to it, although they didn't take it as anywhere near as seriously as Batman and X-Men did. Um, then we had Spider-Man, you know, Superman, Justice League, and then Batman Beyond, obviously. And that was kind of like the big heyday. After that, they'd kind of skewed a bit younger with the first Avengers animated series. And it wasn't until the 2000s, really, that we started to get more stuff that appealed to a broader audience, like Spectacular Spider-Man or uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes and those types of things. Now, I want to get your take on this. Looking into it now, supposedly the inspiration with this was some executive at Warner Brothers said that uh, 
hey, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is very popular right now. I want Batman in high school. And that was the seed that eventually led to Batman Beyond. You know what? It wouldn't surprise me at all. That sounds like a total studio note thing to happen. So I've never heard that before. So this is the first time I'm hearing that. So I can't comment about the veracity of it, but it does not surprise me at all. And it it does make sense. And I think the creators of the show, Bruce Tim and um, Alan Burnett, I think Paul, I'm not sure if Paul Dini was involved in this as well. But they had, oh yeah, yeah, Paul Dini was involved in this as well. But I guess they had thought, okay, you want uh, Batman in high school, then we're going to put it in the future and we're going to make it a cyberpunk Batman. So this led to the one, the only Batman Beyond, which uh, other parts of the world, I, I understand it's parts of the world, it's called Batman of the Future, which I don't think quite has the same zing as Batman Beyond. Yeah, I think actually the original working title was like uh, Batman Tomorrow or something. I can't remember. But I know there was a different working title in America as well for a time. So like you had said, yeah, but it would feature a new character taking over the mantle in the the future. And I believe uh, it's 2019 is where our story takes off. We're going to get into a little bit more and review the cartoon where uh, Batman is starting to get older and doesn't think he can do this anymore. Which is funny to think about because now here we are <laughs> four years beyond that. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it was created by Bruce Tim, Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, all who had worked on Batman the Animated Series, Warner Brothers Animation, and it aired on uh, the Kids WB. So it was a mix of uh, a little bit of nostalgia from the original series, obviously the crossover of Kevin Conroy. Uh, I've heard everything from The Dark Knight Returns to being the influence to. Uh, just the cartoon itself. Cyberpunk, obviously, being some of the uh, situation as well. They also said, and uh, I think this was a smart move because this could have easily gone into parody. They, they decided they didn't want to use too many of the villains of the original series, which I think is a good idea. Maybe you think differently, but sometimes when they do future comic stories, they tend to always bring back all the characters. You know, like nobody dies, everybody's still alive. Or it's their sons have all taken over the mantle. Yeah, th- I agree with you. Uh, there's always that tendency to say like, okay, well, let's look at how the villains are doing now all these years later. And they were smart. They only did a few villains that came back. Uh, you had Mr. Freeze was in the first season. Rachel Ghoul, I think it was also in the, either the first or the second season, they had Rachel Ghoul come back. And then there was the, the movie, uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, where they brought back uh, Mark Hamill as the Joker. But in each one of those cases, they had found a really cool twist to work with them. I mean, with Mr. Freeze, it was the fact that he, he was basically immortal because of his uh, cryogenic condition. So as long as he was kept cold, he could live forever. And they had tried to give him a new lease on life with that. With Rachel Ghoul, he had actually taken possession of his daughter Talia's body, and he was now living as Talia instead. And then in Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, you know, spoilers, but it wasn't actually the Joker. It was Tim Drake who had been experimented on by the Joker and had the Joker's personality basically implanted in his mind. And it was able to eventually come out and assert control over Tim. And what they did, which I like, um, a natural progression is Barbara Gordon becomes the new commissioner in Gotham. Yeah. 
Although one of the things I didn't like about that, and this is this has been this weird fetish of Bruce Timm's ever since then, is this idea of Bruce Wayne and Barbara Gordon being romantically involved. Something that would eventually culminate in the uh, the Killing Joke animated movie <laughs> where they had done this opening sequence where Batman and Batgirl have sex on a rooftop and it was just as bad as it sounds. Yeah, I don't get that. I, uh, I've i never, it never was a thing in the comics. It, it's so unorganic and never works. I, I, I don't know why he's got a thing for that. Yeah, I mean, it. I remember watching the TV show at the time and it's in one of these early episodes when Terry meets Barbara for the first time and they go and they have, they have coffee together and he asks her about like what happened and she tells him and he's like, Oh, so you were, you were involved with Dick Grayson. She's like, yeah, but it was puppy love. And she's like, and then eventually Dick left Gotham, didn't want to be in Bruce's shadow, but I stayed with Bruce and Terry's like, Oh, as his partner. And there's kind of like this beat. And then Harry's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and even back then, even as a teenager, I realized, I'm like, oh, I, I know what they're talking about, and I don't know how I feel about that. I don't like that. This episode's kind of relevant in a way, just because now we're getting a Flash movie with an older Batman coming back, and there was even rumors at one point that Michael Keaton was going to make a Batman Beyond's film that sense is not going to happen. But I think that would be a great idea. I would, I would pay money to see that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping that, because, you know... When it was announced that Gunn was taking over, the rumors about that Batman Beyond film, nothing was ever confirmed, so we don't know if it was anything beyond a rumor, but the rumor is that it was canceled. However, Gunn said that, you know, they're going to have the Elseworlds label, so I think it will depend on how people react to seeing Michael Keaton in the Flash movie, but just seeing him in those, in that, in that, the most recent trailer, I mean, he's, he's still got it, and he looks the part of, old Bruce Wayne from this show. Like he's got the widow's peak, the gray hair. He looks like he's, I, I don't know. I can't think of anyone better for, for that part. He'd be so perfect for that. Here, here. I, I love Michael Keaton. I would, I would buy a ticket to see that any day of the week. Yeah. I mean, I am not, I, part of me does not want to pay money to see the flash film because of, because Ezra Miller is a sociopath. But <laughs> I mean, I saw Michael Keaton on the big screen as Batman back in 1992. That was my first Batman film in the theater. And, you know, over 30 years later, it's going to be hard to say I'm not going to go back and see him on the big screen for a second time. So we are going to go back to January 10th, 1999, Batman Beyond Rebirth Part 1. Now, this was actually aired, Parts 1 and 2 were aired together in a primetime special. And then I believe like two weeks later, they, they aired it in two parts. Yeah, and on HBO Max, it's in two parts, too. Yeah, I think they did that so kids who couldn't stay up for the primetime special could watch it at more kid-friendly times. Now, this episode is written by Paul Dini and Alan Burnett, and it's directed by a uh, Kurt Gaeta. Now, we're going to go over some of the voice talent we talked about a little bit. Uh, I'm only going over the two major players. Terry McGinnis created uh, for the show, Will Fradle, like you had said. Obviously, it was Eric Matthews on uh, Boy Meets World. A few other uh, voice credits. He was also he's Blue Beetle on the Brave and the Bold cartoon. And he also voiced Star-Lord on a bunch of the Marvel animated series as well. And Batman himself, Bruce Wayne. The late, great Kevin Conroy, who voiced Batman on Batman the Animated Series, returns to play the aging Bruce Wayne as well. 
Um, don't think they'll ever be anyone quite who match up ever to the greatness of Kevin Conroy. No, I mean, even to this day, like, ev- like he was... He wasn't the first voice I associated with Batman, right? That was either Michael Keaton or Adam West. I can't remember which one came first for me, but he's the one that most stuck in my mind. And like even to this day, whenever I read a Batman comic book, I read it in Kevin Conroy's voice. And uh, I had to point it out, even though it's Ace the Bat-Hound appears and the the legend himself, Frank Welker, does all the dog noises (laughs) for Ace the Bat-Hound. Also a nice callback to continuity because... Back in the in the Silver Age, there was the Bat Hound, Ace. So it's they brought they brought him back too. Now I love Frank Welker, but they really needed to get someone as high profile as him just to do barking sounds. <laughs> uh, also, yeah, George Takei in this. Well, I think he comes in the second one in the second episode. But George Takei plays Mister Fix, who's um, Derek Powers' bodyguard. And I also, um, I, I, obviously, we're going to be watching one particular episode. But I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since so I watched this. Is there ever an explanation of what happened to Alfred? No, I just assume he died at some point in the intervening 50 years because he was already pretty old back then. So, uh, but no, I don't think they, as far as I know, they never explicitly mentioned what had happened to Alfred. So I just always assumed he just, you know, died of old age. And um, even though it, it had met some initial negative reaction to the torch being passed, um, it was very well received. In fact, I looked it up, and uh, I think it has a hundred percent critic review on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Audience score ninety-two, so very well received still to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, I think the reception has gotten even more positive over time. And uh, yeah, somehow Terry McGinnis has avoided the, the the legacy character curse that seems to have perpetuated comics in the last thirty some odd years. I mean, I mean they still got uh, Batman Beyond comics coming out these days too. I, I I believe they still have a regular title being published. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if, if it's not, it was pretty recent because I pretty recent, going to yeah. the comic shop and seeing it. It might still be going on. I don't know. And I believe there was talk of bringing him back, but uh, I don't know if that is uh, just a rumor or not. Uh, I'm not sure, but I do know that in the, the Batman Beyond comic book, the more recent one, I think for a time, Tim Drake had been set in the future and he was taking over the Batman Beyond role. But um, in the more recent series, uh, Terry had come back, I believe. All right. So on that note. We're going to take a small break, and then we are going to watch Batman Beyond Rebirth Part 1. Then we're going to talk about it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're Batman. I was Batman in the dawn of the new millennium. A young boy will discover a dark secret. I could use an ally. Show me everything. And give birth to a new legend. You're pretty strong for some clown who thinks he's Batman. I am Batman. Batman Beyond. Next weekend on Kids WB. Experience life on Planet Eric. He lives in a world all his own. Escape to Planet Eric. Find his keepers, a loser's weeper. On Boy Meets World, tonight at 6.30, only on the WB11. What do big kids want? More shots! More tricks! More height! More food! Big kids want to be treated like big kids. So you can come to Burger King and get a Burger King Big Kids meal served your way with more great tasting food, fun, and of course, a cool toy. Ready for 21st century action? I think I can handle it. Batman Beyond Action Toys are now at Burger King. Show me everything. You can collect eight toys in all. One with every tasty Burger King Big Kids meal you buy. This is unbearably cold. 
taste rules. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... back and we just watched and i hope you did too batman beyond rebirth part one gotta say brought back some memories i I haven't watched batman beyond in i think well over a decade last time i watched the show i've been doing like a partial rewatch in the background on hbo max you know when i'm just you know want want to put something on and i think it was maybe last year or the year before we had done uh return of the joker for for superhero cinephiles so it's fairly fresh in my memory, although I hadn't really sat down and paid attention to Rebirth until doing it for this episode. So we open an airplane hangar where there's a bunch of criminals and a girl tied up. Obviously, some chicanery going on around here. And of course, you get the conveniently placed news report where uh, Powers Technology has tried another hostile takeover of Wayne, but uh, he managed to avoid it, which sent stock in both companies skyrocketing. Also, there was a continuity note, too. The The girl who's kidnapped, her last name is Vreeland, and Veronica Vreeland is presumably her mother, and she was a recurring character in Batman the Animated Series. Perfect continuity. And the news report also reports that there's a $5 million ransom for her safe return. Batman comes in the, it's the Batman Beyond costume. You're not sure who it is at first, but he comes to save the day where they're going to, uh, they're going to actually, they're going to double cross. They're not going to return her. They're going to keep the money and kill her. But Batman comes to save the day. What do you think of the uh, the Batman Beyond suit? Oh, I love it. I think it's a, it's a really cool, streamlined design. It still feels like a Batman suit, but it's, it's more agile. It, it's, um, so it allows them to do a little bit more things. I remember they were commenting at the time that because they didn't have a cape with it, it allowed them to play more with like his agility and showcase that aspect of it. And it really helps show that Terry's a different kind of Batman than Bruce was. So while the suit feels a little out of place in this first scene on Bruce, we see why when, when Terry puts it on uh, in the next episode. So during the fight, uh, he's clutching his chest a little bit. He even collapses at one point, and Then he starts getting the, the hell beaten out of him by uh, one of these guys. But he manages to grab one of the guns and Batman of all people which is a pretty powerful moment if you think about it. pulling a gun, scaring this guy off. This moment really stuck out to me rewatching it because they really drive home in, in this series and also in Batman the Animated Series how this Batman absolutely abhors guns. And this is my favorite depiction of Batman is one who, who does not want to use guns, who who hates them because they're what took his his parents and you know, the famous scene in Dark Knight Returns when he he takes a rifle, he breaks it, and he says, this is the tool of the enemy. We do not need it. We will not use it. And that was just like such a powerful image that's seared in my brain. And so this scene, when he picks up the gun, and he threatens to use it, and then he walks out, and he looks down, and he sees himself holding the gun, and, he, and it horrifies him. That is the perfect encapsulation of the character right there. I liked it because... Sometimes I get a little sick of the Batman cannot be defeated, so it was nice to see Batman 
having to overcome adversity, which he doesn't seem to have to do a lot of the time. Another thing I liked about it, which annoyed me in the um, in the Nolan films and in Batman Forever, is this is a Batman who doesn't quit unless he has no choice. Like I never bought the whole "I've met the love of my life" in Batman Forever, so now I'm going <laughs> to quit being Batman. Or in Dark Knight Rises, where it's like, "Well, the love of my life died, so I'm just going to give up now." That's just Batman is so obsessed with his mission that he can't give up. And I do like that. That's that's what happened to this Bruce is that he. He's so obsessed that he builds this suit so that he can keep fighting crime, even though he's getting too old for it. But when he physically can't do it anymore, that's finally when he decides to hang up the cape. And even then, after that, his life goes to ruin because Batman is the only thing in his life anymore. And we get a scene of him. He's kind of perusing the Batcave. He walks to the top, takes one look back, flicks the light off and says, never again. And we get our opening credits. I, I uh, I'm digging this theme song. It's uh, it's it's unique. I'll say that. One of the things I really like about this opening sequence is it was designed by the late great Darwin Cook, who's did DC: The New Frontier and a um, bunch of other amazing comics. Before Watchmen. Before Watchmen, yeah, he did the Minutemen. I believe it was. He did a run on the Spirit. I don't think he he didn't draw it, draw it. I think Tim Sale drew it, but he also did an amazing uh, Superman story called Superman Kryptonite, I think it was called. An amazing talent. Uh, Batman Ego was another one he did, which is an influence on um, the Batman movie. I never knew that he had done this title sequence, but when I was watching it the other night and I saw, I got to the credits and I see Darwin Cook's name, I'm like, wait, wait, what? And I went back and I saw that he had designed this opening title sequence. And I think it's, it's really cool because it, it separates it from Batman the Animated Series. It gives it this cyberpunk feel to it, mixed with the classic animation style that we've come to expect from the DCAU. Now, the next scene, we get everybody on the, the modern subway. Did you notice how giant the cell phones are in the future? <laughs> you know what? That's one of the things that hasn't aged very well is the technology, because there's um, a scene later when he's in Bruce's house and he's like, I have to go call my dad. And he goes into find Bruce's landline. <laughs> yeah. He finds the landline. Yeah. The, the cell phones were enormous. That, that made me laugh watching it now. And, uh, there's a guy who gets on the subway. Definitely looks like, uh, the, almost I'd say the Joker wearing Harley Quinn's outfit almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we'll find out later. There's a there's a gang of ruffians that have inspired by the Joker called the Jokers that cause kind of mayhem and uh, mischief all over Gotham City. Uh, he starts harassing this chick, but Terry doesn't stand for it. He gets in his face, gets into a little fight, chases him off the building, off the subway, I should say. Yeah, this is Terry's save the cat moment. I love when the the guy does like this kind of karate stance thing, like he's gonna kick ass, and then he just. Runs off the subway. <laughs> we go to uh, high school, which not Gotham High, but uh, Terry's. Uh, he's on. The, he's doing a local wrestling meet where uh, his uh, opponent spits on him, which causes him to you know stop the Greco-Roman and throw some haymakers. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, they don't catch uh, the bully doing the spit, so he gets the boot off the wrestling team. Right, and there's also. Um you know, his girlfriend Dana walks in right before that happens. And we get the first hint here that Terry's got a temper he struggles with because when he gets angry, Dana just kind of like shakes her head. And she's like, oh, not again. So it's it's a really nice bit of uh, they tell us everything we need to know about Terry in these first two scenes. Right. He he's obviously capable of holding his own in a fight. He's got a sense of justice. 
but also he, you know, he's a bit of a hothead too. So it's um very uh Jason Todd esque in some ways too. Another continuity note is the school is Hamilton Hill High School, which Hamilton Hill was the mayor in Batman the Animated Series. I like that they didn't go the Peter Parker route, that he's not like a nerdy guy who's getting bullied and chicks don't like him. You know, he has a girlfriend, he's on the wrestling team, he doesn't take shit, he's, uh, he's got an eye for justice already. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, because it's clear that there's a lot of Spider-Man influence in this version of Batman, but they also, they try to put their own spin on it when they could. So we go to, uh, we find out is uh, Terry's dad, who works for the uh, Powers Company, who uh, I believe earlier they had said he had, he's now successfully taken over Wayne Enterprises. And uh, he runs into another employee of his who is uh, very nervous and uh, gives <laughs> another bit of slightly dated technology. He gives him a, a computer disc. and it, it looks like a little mini, mini CD. Yeah, the technology hasn't advanced. They they didn't seem to be paying much attention to where technology was going because there were hints of of stuff that would have been changing at that time. And when he hands it, he's, he notices he has kind of a, a skin rash of something, you know, like there's all these black spots on his arms. The mysterious bodyguard shows up with security who apprehends him, stops him from getting away. Later on, Terry's dad is talking to, I think it's Derek, is uh, Derek McGinnis, I believe is his name, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think it's Warren McGinnis. Derek Powers is the the CEO. You are correct. I got, <laughs> I switched the names, but they're talking and he says how uh, that gentleman had suffered a allergic reaction to chemicals, but now he's in the best of care. Right off the bat, there's something fishy about this Derek guy. Uh, something interesting too about... Uh, Derek Powers, he's voiced by Sherman Howard, who played Lex Luthor on the Superboy TV show in the um, late 80s, early 90s. And he was actually very close to being Lex Luthor in uh, Superman the Animated Series, but narrowly lost out to Clancy Brown. Fun fact, I didn't know. Um, He says that he's going to be fine and he can see him on uh, Monday morning. But one thing he has to bring up is uh, they seem to be missing a file in a they want to know if uh, Warren knows anything about that, which he says he has no idea. So something's fishy going on here, and uh, I don't think uh, Derek believes him. Yeah, never trust a CEO. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's, uh, he's on the computer looking at the file. We don't get to see it, but he says uh, Paris can't be serious. He must be out of his mind. So something very ominous is on that disc. Now, did you notice when they're looking at the disc, it, it's not even like words on the screen. It's all these weird like symbols and, and whatnot. Yeah, that was um, – I think that was, kind of, that was kind of a thing they did a lot back then so that they didn't have to worry just because it's simpler to animate big shapes on the computer screen as opposed to trying to put in words there. Terry interrupts them. They get into a big argument because uh, Terry's grounded, but he's going to go out anyway. They even make a reference to uh, he doesn't live with his mother. And Terry storms off. He's not going to take any crap. So there's Terry being a hothead again. Uh, I, I was never sure what the backstory behind that was, why Terry is living with his father. But then later in the next episode, we see he's, he's got a little brother, or in this episode, I think it is. And, yeah. and his little brother has been living with his mom. So I was always curious why they had, had the kids split up that way. I mean, I would guess that maybe he was a you know, rebellious teenager and his mom couldn't deal with him anymore. So maybe uh, the dad took him from that point on. Maybe that's what's going on. 
Yeah, that might be it. I mean, I'm I'd be curious to go check out some of the the Batman Beyond comics that were published either concurrently with the animated series or the ones that came out later to see if they had ever explained that. So uh, there we get Terry and his lady friend. They're out at a club. And all of a sudden, it gets crashed by uh, all the Jokers uh, on their motorcycles. I like how uh, most of them have kind of original designs, but one is pretty much wearing <laughs> a Joker Halloween costume. Yeah, they they've done that a lot in the series. Every now and then you get like one of them who is, you know, clearly modeling himself very heavily after the original Joker. It's like he's not even wearing face paint. It's almost like he's got a Joker mask on. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting. Uh, they kind of give Terry's girl a hard time, so uh, he doesn't stand for that. Roughs him up a little bit, steals the motorcycle, and we get a big chase scene on these futuristic motorcycles. Eventually... They end up by uh, Wayne Manor, where Terry almost uh, runs Bruce right over. Who, by the way, <laughs> really no explanation for why Bruce is just standing in the middle of the road by <laughs> by Wayne Manor in the middle of the night. I had that same thought too, because you know, after this scene, you know, he has Terry take him back up to the house. You see, it's like all the way at the far. So, what the hell is Bruce Wayne doing walking that far from home in the middle of the night? And then the. <laughs> The Jokers show up and uh, Bruce basically has his uh, My Lawn speech at this point. I, I caught that too. I love that when he just he just says, like, you're trespassing. Get off my property. <laughs> Which ends up being a big fight where uh, Bruce is kicking almost as much butt as Terry using his cane as a weapon. Yeah. I remember in the um, in the interviews before the show came out, they said Bruce has a cane now, but it's mostly just for show. <laughs> and they definitely prove it in this scene. So they clean house, they scare him off. Bruce is uh, not feeling very well, though. Uh, He's clutching his chest. He needs Terry to bring him back to get his medicine. And that's where we got our first uh, look at uh, Ace the Bat Hound, who I was a little disappointed he wasn't wearing the mask. That would have... I I could see why he doesn't, but I would love to have seen him in the mask. By the way, uh, just for the record, Crypto I like. Crypto, you know, he's the dog makes... Has superpowers, you know, and some of the old comics, Crypto could think and you had his dialogue. Ace is just a dog who wears a bat mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I like that they put him in, in this show. I think it makes sense that Bruce has this guard dog who's just as ornery as he is. Because there's that great scene when um, Ace starts barking at Terry and then Bruce like, no, down Ace, he's okay. And Terry's like, nice dog. And Bruce's like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Terry gives Bruce his medicine, and Bruce falls asleep in his chair immediately. And <laughs> that was the scene you were referencing earlier where uh, Terry's going to call his dad using the landline. He finds that there's a bat stuck in the uh, grandfather clock. And when Terry goes to free the bat, the grandfather clock opens to the staircase of the bat cave. I've always loved the grandfather clock entrance. Is that even still a thing in the comic books? I believe so. Yeah, it's usually the trigger mechanism is usually you, the clock has to be set to the time that his parents were killed. Right. That makes sense. I've always loved the the grandfather clock entrance. I'm glad they brought it back. He goes in the he sees the bat cave. Bruce still has the Batmobile. He's got the bat motorcycle. He's got all the bat suits are still there. Terry is uh blown away, pretty excited by all this, which I guess <laughs> Who wouldn't be if you uh, you saved a rich, eccentric billionaire and found out he was a crime-fighting vigilante? Which is, it's cool because when you think about the timing of this show, because at this point, Batman's been out of commission for 20 years. So 
Yeah, and Terry's, what, like 17 in this series? So he hasn't even been alive at the same time as Batman, but that's how big the legend still looms. Bruce is not happy that he discovered the Batcave, and uh, he uh, kicks him right out of the house. And after he kicks him out, Terry kind of shakes his fist, yells, and calls him a freak. <laughs> so when then uh, Terry gets home, all the cops are at their house, and uh looks like uh, the Jokers have attacked his dad. And uh, a robbery gone wrong, they call it. And even though they don't come out and say it, it's pretty apparent that his father's been killed. Yeah. So uh, that we get the old, you know, everybody's got to have their... Uh, you know, their Uncle Ben, their great power comes from great response. Everybody has to have their tragic moment that makes them a superhero. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it always has to be dead parents, but hey, that's just the that's just the way superheroes go. That's just the way the tropes work, yeah. <laughs> to my knowledge, I think Hal Jordan's parents are still alive, but uh, I could be wrong about that. that. That's probably was retcon with Rebirth or New 52 or something like that. I'm not sure about Hal, but I know with Barry's parents, it was retcon. Yeah. So that's what we got in like the Flash TV show and everything with the Flash rebirth is that his mother was killed by reverse Flash when he was a kid. But before that, I think his mother was alive, if I'm not mistaken, or was I I, I'd never mentioned. Well, they did that story during Millennium when they revealed Wally's dad. Well, that was Wally, not Barry. Wally's dad was a manhunter. But yeah, I got him confused. Barry's parents, I think, were still both alive, but until... Was it Flashpoint or was it before that? that it was, uh, it was Rebirth was the one that established it, I think. And then Flashpoint Rebirth. was when he tried to undo it. Oh, Jeff Jones. <laughs> Terry blames himself. He's really upset because last time they spoke, they had a heated argument. And that's when we found out, like you had pointed out, that uh, Terry does have a brother who was living with his mom. And uh, that's who he's going to live with now. Now, uh, when Terry's moving his things, he drops a... A framed picture, which uh, he, the dad hid the computer disc in there. So uh, Terry finds it and he hooks it up to his computer, which uh, <laughs> his brother says, boring, and walks away. <laughs> One of the things I thought was, I noticed when with the computer disc is that the file is titled when it loads up, you know, in the event of my death or disappearance. So it's kind of curious that he hides it behind this picture frame instead of mailing it to the cops. But I guess he had to figure out some way to get it from him to Terry. Yeah, I guess the old, you know, uh, Derek, you know, he's, he's a billionaire. He must have the police in his uh, his back pocket. So uh, he's going to go find uh, Bruce Wayne, who knows Batman, to help him out to get this matter resolved. He's yelling at him from the gate. He won't open. He even says, uh, you're no Batman, you're, you weird old fraud. Mm-hmm. He's going to insult and get him out of there. And it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you get a great final shot of the ominous looking Wayne Manor. And then you see in the window, Bruce Wayne looking out, staring at Terry. Cliffhanger ending there with what is Bruce going to do now? Mm -hmm. And there you have it. Batman Beyond Rebirth, Art One. So, obviously... (laughs) We're not going to review both parts, but we all know what happens. Uh, he ends up uh, giving Terry the mantle of Batman, Amiga's mentor, to help retake Gotham City. Well, I got to say, uh, I remember it. Uh, still a good time. Really cool setup for a really good origin story. I'm a big sucker for superhero origin stories, so uh, this was a good way to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because 
going back to what you said before, how the studio executives wanted something more like Batman in high school because of Buffy. One of the notes from the studio for this series is we want something more kid friendly. And this first season, you know, was pretty dark. I mean, they had leaned a lot into this stuff like corporate espionage and arms dealing. And and that tone is present right from the start in this first episode. And then in the second and third seasons, that's when they started doing um, more lighter stuff. All sorts of crazy things happen. Uh, I would say it's uh, superheroes are kind of uh, they're they're kind of monster of the week as well. A lot of times, where a new villain mm-hmm. is introduced and they fight them and take care of them by the end. So I, I could definitely see there might be some uh, credibility to that story that Buffy influenced. But uh, I would say the only thing about it is, uh, I mean, we're going to get into a full review in a minute, but uh, I think it is uh, it doesn't feel as much of a cliffhanger. As much as, you know, they had to find a, like a good halfway point to break it into two parts. No, it, it, this was definitely written as, um, not as a two parts, but as just one complete entity in itself. And which is why it was aired in primetime, like you'd said earlier. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to get into our review, our ranking system, the spectrometer. to the show spectrometer is what we rank what we just saw zero spectros being absolute garbage four spectros being it just doesn't get any better than this perry how are you going to rank batman beyond rebirth i it it's hard because like you said this is it's not like a complete episode in itself i really feel like you need part two to make this a complete episode so i mean Judging it by itself is difficult. If we were judging the whole, if we were judging both of them together, I would say definitely a four. But since it's just this one and it does feel a little incomplete, I think maybe I'd have to go a three. Yeah, I think I'm going to go three as well. It's good, solid start. Um, I like origin story, so it's a good setup. Animation, top notch. Voice acting, good. I like that it's taken seriously. I like how it's got a a good flow from the animated series to the to this, it doesn't feel like tacked on. It feels organic. Mm-hmm. Like my only complaint, and I don't even know I call it a complaint, is like you had stated that uh, it doesn't feel like a complete episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's really the only complaint I think you could make about this. Um, if you were going to try to have this as its own episode, I would probably put some of this stuff in flashbacks and try to intercut it with some of the, the action with Terry as Batman later and try to do it that way. But... When it's part of the two-part, it makes sense like that, though. Well, what did you think out there? Uh, did you like Batman Beyond Rebirth? Did you like it? Uh, you couldn't have liked it much more than Perry and myself did, but you might have liked it less. I want to hear from you if you did. And if you did, that's okay. Just always remember, we're just two guys talking comic books, sharing our opinion. If you don't agree with us, that's okay. <laughs> what would you uh, say uh, while we're on the subject? Uh, what do you think of the series of a whole? Do you think it... Uh, Better than Batman the Animated Series, about the same, or uh, just slightly not as good? Oh, I mean, nothing's going to touch, uh, especially that first season of Batman the Animated Series. Like, that was just, it, it was magic. If I was going to rank, I think it's, it's a better exercise to probably rank this in relation to the entire DCAU. So you've got Batman the Animated Series, Superman, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and the new Batman Adventures when they'd moved to Kids WB. Batman would obviously be at the top. I think I would probably put this series. Superman would probably be second. I think I would probably I might put this on par with 
Justice League. I think it's better than the new Batman Adventures, but I don't think it doesn't reach the highs of Batman the Animated Series. And then the next time they did Batman animation, they went back to the status quo and we got the Batman animated series. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. the With the Jeff Matsuda designs, which was uh, – yeah. I really like those designs for the most part, at least, at least especially the Bat Family ones. Some of the villains I wasn't too sure about, but I didn't like what they did with the Joker at first. But I, did, I do love that art style, though. Yeah, one of my Halloween episodes, we did the Batman versus Dracula. I, I was not a fan of the Joker's design. He looked like the Creeper to me. Yeah, they did change it, and they made it more comic book-esque, more like the comic book Joker in later seasons. All right, well, I want you all to uh, tell us what you think. You can find me on social media. I'm at Matt Spectro on Twitter. You can follow me while you're there, and you can find me on Facebook at uh, Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Perry, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. It was fun ha- uh, being on. Uh, if anybody wants to check out my stuff, uh, Superhero Cinephiles is my podcast where we talk about superhero movies, and that's SuperheroCinephiles.com, or we are Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You read my mind. I was about to say, free plug time, Perry. The floor is yours. Beat me to the punch. I hope you'll come back to another episode at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. And uh, just so everyone knows, uh, pretty soon next month, uh, I'm going to be kicking off the uh, countdown to my two-year anniversary show, where I'm going to be bringing back the guests from my five most popular episodes. So if there's somebody you want to hear from again... Download their episode, get your friends to listen to it, because I'm bringing back the five most popular guests late next month as we kick off to my two-year anniversary episode. Perry, I want to thank you once again for joining us, like I said. Do you have any final thoughts from me or my listeners? Um, just, you know, Batman Beyond is on HBO Max for now, because <laughs> they've been pulling stuff off lately, so we'll see how long <laughs> it lasts on there. But definitely watch it, if you haven't, while you've got the opportunity. And you got a short window of time, but maybe you'll be one of my top five most popular guests and come back for the anniversary. (laughs) Hopefully. We'll see what happens. And everybody out there can like my podcast, subscribe and share it. I appreciate it as well. And if you have any suggestions for guests or episodes you'd like to hear, please hit me up on social media. Thanks for joining us. Until next week, we'll see you again on another episode of Matt Spectrum through the multiverse, everybody. Excelsior!